me today, Nate Shapiro. Got a bunch of interesting stuff to talk about. You want to just introduce yourself, my man? Hi, hi there. My name is Nate Shapiro. I'm a 31-year-old. Uh, currently live in Corvallis, but soon to be living in Portland. Um, like it. That's a move. It's a big move. That's a move to a city from a small town. Right. I'm curious what, uh, what prompted that move. Well, uh, this summer I applied to... Um, acupuncture school in portland nice well it's gonna be a blast do you want to just get right into it sure let's let's get into it you came here to talk about many different spectrums i did and the backdrop of all that is being on the autism spectrum correct and so would you just want to take it from there i mean what what, what do you have to say to young like what would you say to your past self about it, what it's like to get that diagnosis and then what it's like to kind of like how has it impacted your life would you say um it, um, I guess so socially has been the biggest, um, the biggest thing I've struggled with has been, um, socializing in yeah. the past. And, and how so? Um, it, it took me a while to, um, really develop social skills, um, really feel comfortable going out of my comfort zone and reaching out and making new friends. Um, just having the, the, um, confidence to approach people in terms of being friends or the confidence to reach out to people. Yeah. And that's really changed lately to the point where you seem, you go out more than I do. You're, you're inviting me to swing dance events <laughs> and stuff like that. Like right. you're making it happen. So I'm curious, is that like a way of of almost like forcing yourself to break out of that? Um, I would say that it is. Nice. Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, in the last couple of years, especially the last, mm, especially this last year, but even before then, I was really challenging myself to, uh, to, 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 to break out of the tendency I have to, to isolate. So what was that like before you kind of made that switch? What was that isolation years of your life look like? Well, I mean, there've been different periods when I felt isolated in the past and, um, certainly not for, um, not for necessarily a continuous length of time, but throughout my teens and twenties, there have been periods when I felt lonely, isolated, disconnected. Um, I've been part of communities or like communities you could say where I didn't feel that way. But the community, one example would be the high school I went to, an, alterna an alternative boarding school, which I went to for the last two years. Whoa, that, of, does, that of my seems like a unique mix. It was a very unique place, <laughs> for <match>. sure. <laughs> um, what, what kind of boarding school? Was it like a religious, Catholic kind of sense? Um, no, it wasn't actually. It was actually, um, it was on a farm mm. in Vermont. Whoa. It's called the Putney School. All right. And so what kind of, how is it different from traditional public school? Um, it's quite a bit different in that the students there are expected to work basically an hour every day. Hmm. Um, Do you believe it was foundational? For, like, was it, was it more, was it better than traditional school for helping you just kind of succeed in life? For, for me, it was... And um, I only went there for the last two years of my high school education, but um, I would say at the time it was the right place for me to be. I like it. And so how, how long have you, have you known about it? Asperger's? Yeah. 
I was diagnosed with it as a teenager. Okay. Um, I just want to say one quick thing for the people out there listening. Give it. When I was diagnosed with it, it was being called Asperger's. Nowadays, it's being called autism because the term Asperger's has come to be included under the umbrella term autism. Mm -hmm. But back then, it was there. It was a uh, two different terms: Asperger's and autism. And and so is that where you are on the spectrum, or what is that? What's the differentiation there? Asperger's is basically synonymous with high functioning autism. Okay. And so, as opposed to low-functioning autism? Right. Which would look like what? Somebody who um, was much less, much further down the spectrum of autism. Like, on the other side. On the other side. Not on, further down. On the other side. Yeah. Um, and so, that would look like more social uh, kind of ex like uh, keeping away? Or what do you, what do you mean? Um, somebody who... For, for whom um, communication was more of a significant struggle mm. to even be able to communicate um, verbally. And I, also somebody who was on the other side of the autism spectrum um, would tend to have quite a bit more um, sensory overload issues. Ah. And so what's the best way to communicate um, with people anywhere on the spectrum? Like what's the best way to help people who have difficulties communicating feel embraced and loved by the community? Um, well, um, you have to be somewhat sensitive to their needs for one thing. Uh, you have to make space for them. Um, like what's been the largest benefit to your personal experience? Like maybe like having your own room where you can just go and escape or something or, or i mean i guess we'll touch on music a little bit later but it's definitely helped me to have my own space throughout my life it's helped me to be able to retreat and take a break when i need to now there is a dark side to that for, yeah. for me or for other and what would that look like for maybe young people who are just now realizing that they they might be on the spectrum um and how to avoid it how to avoid it yes um or escape it that's a lot i would say there's a balance between taking time for yourself and isolating mm -hmm. um there are times when i found it very necessary to take time for myself when i've been in a number of communities where i felt just overwhelmed with everything that was happening um and includes you know college classes and intentional communities i've volunteered at and other big group experiences where there's lots of people around and well the interesting point of all this is i mean i've known you for two years and i at no point until you said you wanted to come on the show and talk about it i had no idea you're on the autism spectrum and a lot of people don't actually a lot of people have shared with me that they find it surprising it is that i was diagnosed with that as a teenager because a lot of people are like, well, you, you seem really normal. Well, normal is an interesting terminology, but how do you think people, are people generally more welcoming or how do people tend to react when, the, when you tell them? Um, the people I tell are people I feel comfortable sharing it with for starters. Well, that's everyone now. <laughs> um, so um, people are generally, I found that people are generally welcoming. Nice. How about your family? How has your family kind of been inclusive in this time? Or? Um, my family has been very supportive 
Nice. Of that, it's uh, something that runs in the family to some degree. I mean, I have an uncle who was never officially diagnosed, but, you know, it would appear to... Yeah, diagnosis uh, is a strange thing because it's like having someone else tell you that you technically have something doesn't really change the way you live your life. Like, you, I mean, you've been living your life for 15 or 20 years yeah. up until you heard about it. You yeah. Know? And I, I think that's really the most important thing for me, Tiger, is how I'm going to live my life most effectively. Because I don't really th- wake up every day and think of myself as a person on the autism spectrum. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that that's a that's an I, interesting se- I do self-containing think thing. think of myself as a sensitive person. Yeah. An HSP? Yeah, I would say so. I would say that I, I identify with that term. And what what benefit do you think that terminology has? And maybe a loss of stigma or an absence of it? I'm sorry, could you clarify what you mean by that? Um, so, like, if someone who is who has no idea what autism is, and they haven't met you, and I said, oh, my Nate, my, my friend Nate's coming, and say, maybe I'm not sensitive, so I'm just like, oh, and he has autism, so, you know, blah, blah, blah. They might have all these preconceptions, but I'm like, and hey, he's a pretty sensitive person, so maybe just, like, you know, be careful, or, like, be more conscious when you're near him. Do you think they hold different connotations? Um, those two terms, HSP and autism, I feel like they hold pretty different connotations in most people's minds. But are they the same thing, more or less? I would not personally say that those are the, that they're Ah, the same thing. I didn't know that. And so how do you describe HSP? I don't really know that much. I'm learning Um, here, man. You know, HSP isn't something I'm super familiar with, but I have a general sense of what it's all about. Um, and so... Basically, for one thing, you don't necessarily have to be on the spectrum to identify as an HSP. Okay. Now, an HSP is highly sensitive person for uh-huh. most people. So you might be an MSP, mediumly sensitive person. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so sorry, I inter- interrupted you there. Um, you know, a lot of people on the spectrum have different sensory issues like they're more sensitive to lights noises oh yeah they they're like it's like it's like their nervous system gets overloaded absolutely more easily well then most people are sensitive people to something whether it's social like if someone's yelling in a room everyone's sensitive to that sure you know? sure yeah so i mean we're, we're all sensitive to a certain degree yeah and so is that I don't necessarily know where I was going with all that. I got very lost. Um, you said you didn't want to touch on this too much and you wanted to kind of make the centerpiece of this of this conversation bisexuality. Mm-hmm. Would you want to touch on, like, set any more of a backdrop of... I would just say um, I've been a sensitive person throughout my life and it has definitely taught me to be more mindful of how I spend my energy and the environments that I choose to be in. Um, so, yeah, we can get more into that later. If, if it comes up again in the conversation, because yeah. it, it very well might. Yeah, um, but energy is a strange thing that I've been thinking about a lot more lately. For a long time, I focused on time. Like, okay, all we have is the time in the day. But if you wake up and you just don't have any energy that day, that time's more or less meaningless. So it's interesting that you say where to focus your energy. Do you believe it's a limited thing or something you maybe refill with healthy habits? Or I believe it's something that you refill with healthy habits. Nice. And sometimes those healthy habits are isolation, but then at a certain point it's detrimental? Or Yeah, I mean, 
for me, there's been a balance between, you know, like I said before, taking time for yourself when you need it. But then there gets there comes a point where you're just staying in your comfort zone and going around in the same circle with that. And um, that's when it becomes um, a problem yeah. for me or um, and uh, yeah. All right. So let's, let's dig right into it. What, what are your thoughts on bisexuality? Uh, my thoughts on bisexuality. Um, let's see here. So, um, that's a great question, Tiger. That's a big question. That's how, I mean, how do you even start to delve in? Um, let's see. So, I think like autism, it's on a spectrum. Absolutely. And there's different um, people are different places on the spectrum and um where where th- when did this all start coming about in your your head was it a slow progress or did you see a very handsome man one day and you said hey <laughs> i mean like everyone probably probably comes to terms with realizing that society has imprinted a specific mindset on you and that maybe that doesn't have to be what you believe right right um so I first basically discovered it when I was a teenager and a male friend and I developed a sexual relationship with one another, um, which was very messy and very complicated. Um, it basically un- completely undermined our friendship, which was actually more or less, we were more or less drifting apart at the time to make things even more complicated. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I had developed feelings for him, which were not reciprocated by him for me. And I'm trying to think, trying to remember. And, um, yeah, it was just really messy. And I never talked to anyone about it, including a therapist. Like I wasn't seeing a therapist at the time, so I didn't really have someone to talk to about it. I was part of a a sex ed program called the OWL program. OWL stands for Our Whole Lives. Some listeners may have heard of it. Um, And I remember that being in that program was definitely like a lifesaver. I never talked about my bi-curiousness at the time in that program. I do remember asking a question to the group, which I felt like the facilitator did not do a great job of answering. What was it? The question was, can you be straight and have feelings for a guy or something like that. Yeah. And he just brushed it aside or I'm curious. He, I mean, he didn't brush it aside. He thought about it for a minute, but then he was like, well, if you're straight, then you're not going to have feelings for a guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that obviously doesn't help at all. Like obviously anyone kind of knows that that's the typical answer. Right. You just wanted some, some further thought. I'm curious. Did you ever get that with someone along the lines of a therapist? Um, it's funny. It, um, I did see therapists later in my 20s for other reasons, but I didn't really bring it up too much, Um, mainly because it was sort of on the back burner for me the whole time. It was sort of in the back of my mind. It was like I would experience periodic attraction to other males, even though I always thought of myself as straight and I always told people that I was straight. And it's like, I tell people, it's like, it fluctuates throughout time. 
It's a spectrum. And labeling is a strange thing. I just, the person I had on the show last night was Thomas Hurek came on again. He labels himself a lot, which pro, I mean, like a lot of people do. And, and I obviously just don't know much to actually talk about it, but I seem to be against labeling because we are so fluid and dynamic as people, you know, but then that gets to an interesting point where, sorry, no, sorry. You no, had something to say? No, go for it, man. Uh, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. I was going to say a lot of the, the, the reason that this came up is actually you made a post coming out as bisexual and so i'm curious what that what value that or you know what, what was the purpose behind what, something? what was the purpose behind it for me yeah that's a great question tiger i totally get where you why you're asking um it's from a place of ignorance but not willingness i do want to learn you know yeah like why did i make that post um i was at a place so first of all i came out to my dad first before i made that post I told him that I was definitely bisexual and um, that was honestly coming out to my dad was harder than making that post. I believe it. Um, and a side note, I came out to my mom too, but I came out to her in an email because she was traveling at the time. <laughs> Probably a little bit easier than a face-to-face -face conversation. Yeah. Did he see it coming? Did he kind of know that what you were going to say or did it hit him out of the blue? He saw it coming because I had been... Because <laughs> dating men for your... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> sort of dropping hints or nice. sort of saying yeah. stuff along those lines, yeah. but not quite saying it quite as open as I said it when I actually came out to him. I like it. And and looking from your post, it seems very well received by the community. Oh, gosh. I've, it, it, it was very... I, I felt very... Um, well received. I felt. I felt like. I felt like. I received a lot of positive feedback and a lot and a lot of support too. That's important. Um, but to to get back to answering your question, like, what was the value of it for me? I was at a place where I I wanted to be seen or I wanted to be acknowledged, but I was just okay. So I was just at a place where I was ready to declare to make the declaration that I was. Um, it was just the right time and, um, like I, I just felt, it just felt like the right thing to do. I like it. And I mean, obviously it, it, it really showed like, I mean, you, you probably received dozens of comments and I assume messages in private saying like, like, that's awesome, man. Like, I'm like, thank you for, for being outspoken on something along these lines. Cause as much as I am, I do preach like, you know, if you are just go date other men. But like, I see, I do see the power in people banding together and being like, no, you know, we've been oppressed for a long time or like typically like, unless people are coming out and people show support for it, the old ways get to perpetuate, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious where you see the future of, do you think if things get to a place where being uh, anywhere on the spectrum is just as re well received as being straight that it'll still be a thing to come out or do you think that'll disappear um i personally think that if homosexuality becomes more normalized within our society to where um both homosexuality and heterosexuality are more or less on equal ground in terms of how we look at them as a society I think that coming out would be less of a thing. I mean, I can't really predict the future. No, no one can. But, you know, I think like having not really 
feeling like I had the resources or the support to talk about this with anyone as a teenager or as a young adult. Um, and I think for me, part of that stemmed from my Asperger's and not more my autism as it's now called, not necessarily having the social skills to know who to talk to about it. Because I know for some people, it's like the struggles they go through, they just don't have anyone hardly to talk to. And that, and I'm not saying that that was the case for me. Like I have very loving, supportive parents. And I think if I had talked to them about it as a teenager, they would have tried to help as best they can. And truth be told, um, when I've tried, there was a time when I tried to come out as a 21 year old and they weren't, they didn't really do the best job of supporting me in that. And I also wasn't quite confident about it at the time and I wasn't ready. And so I basically sort of was like, oh, I, I guess I'm not going to come out now. And you got to repress it for 10 more years. Yeah. Which, which, what kind of mental like health challenges does that bring up to repress part of who you are to the people that are closest to you? That is a really good question, Tiger. Now, I will tell you that I've struggled with OCD and anxiety for pretty much my whole life since I was a young child. Super quick, would you hand me that pen so I can start with the pen and the pad? I want to write down some notes um, to bring up later. Thank you. Beautiful. OCD and? Anxiety. Um, those have been my two biggest mental health challenges throughout my life. Um, it's funny, I never thought that repressing homosexuality could was like the reason that I struggled with all those. And I'm not saying it's the sole reason that I struggled with those, but I will tell you this, since I have come out, and for me coming out is really has really been about really embracing myself. It's, I mean, telling other people is important because you feel seen, heard, recognized. But um, part of it for me has just been like really embracing it for myself. Um, it and we we're we're communal creatures. Um, uh, sorry if I'm rambling a bit. No, you can go on. You can seriously talk for as long as you want, man. I I'm I'm just kind of brewing some herbal latte. Sorry about that. It's all it's good. Distracting. Yeah. Um. So let's see. But I will tell you, since coming out, I have experienced a profound reduction in my both my OCD and my anxiety. Do you believe there are manifestations of repressed kind of like? almost like if someone has a like they're repressing an emotional trauma of some sort they might come up as physical pain such as like you know different different sort of aches and pains around the body well i'm really starting to think that there's a serious connection going on there because really wait you don't believe you you don't believe that there's a connection between the mind and body i i do and do you believe that maybe not being true to yourself could if it, it'll find a different way to come out it's possible Oh, anyways, anyways, I'm I'm just spouting off a bunch of nonsense then here. So, what do you mean when you say OCD and anxiety? It's like what what would the thing what would the actions be like, and then how has it gotten better since coming out? Um, well, so I'll give you a little background on OCD. Um, there's different areas within OCD, like different types of OCD, you could say. Um, the areas that I've struggled the most with have been contamination OCD, which is fears about accidentally contaminating something, getting sick, accidentally making somebody else get sick, stuff like that, like hand washing, you know, and just obsessive fears about cleanliness. Um, and, and those are sub so sub subsided. What do you believe? Well, 
The thing about OCD is it never really goes away. It's just something you have to learn to live with. But the it's been much easier for me to challenge my OCD. And um, I did actually go to a um, therapy program for my OCD last April, pr- prior to my coming out this July. Um, and... Um, OCD has really held me back for a while. I mean, it's it's sort of indirectly held me back. I mean, I've really had this fear of moving forward in my life because I'm afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision. And that's going to lead to total failure. I'm sure a lot of people probably have stuff like that. I assume uh, any sort of mental health challenges or not, I think everyone kind of faces that, especially in their 20s. Um, so I'm curious, what does it look like? So you used to obsessively and compulsively do something along the lines of washing your hands and now it hasn't subsided but do you rationalize yourself like after 10 seconds of washing your hands like okay that's good and stop or how has that thought pattern changed well when i was at the therapy program um the counselors and therapists there were working with us the resident the participants to challenge our ocds in different ways and so one of the assignments i was given after i left that was to keep challenging it um and it's since I came out, um, it's been easier for me to challenge challenge it on a daily basis. Um, so like like in a situation where like my rational mind knows that I can probably I say probably because life is uncertain, probably get away with not washing my hands, but yet my OCD is telling me I need to wash my hands. I'm much better at um, listening to my rational mind and resisting the urge to do so. I like it. That's a powerful thing. That's an interesting thing that I think everyone faces is the the urge to do something. That's I mean, that's at the center of addiction is if someone is addicted to any substance, their their pleasure-seeking mind and stuff tells them to do something. I wonder if addictions almost stems from the same thing as OCD. OCD can be um compared to addiction. I mean, it is it can it is it can be sort of an addictive cycle. Um, yeah, um, there's a lot of different areas within OCD, but, um, and then how about anxiety? Anxiety. Yeah. I mean, when, when anxiety goes up or like for me, I'll just say when my anxiety goes up, my OCD tends to go up as well. And is that social anxiety or just, uh, if you're alone in your room, still anxiety? Um, Social anxiety, fear of change and transitions, um, fear of making the wrong choice. It's interesting to know that you can never really just kind of cling on to the day, you know, the time mm-hmm. always just passes. Mm-hmm. And so what, what assages those kind of um, anxieties or, or things? Um, well, it's funny, Tiger, because I thought I thought meditation was going to solve it. Yeah. But it turns out that's not quite what worked for me. Now, I will say mindfulness is important, but um, sitting alone in your room for hours at a time, focusing on your breathing, maybe not the best thing for somebody with OCD and anxiety. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there as a <laughs> as a thought. That's funny. I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting because that seems like the first place most people would go for, but then hearing it said to me, I'm like, 
Yeah, obviously that's probably not the answer. Everyone's different. I'm not I'm not telling other people how to live their lives. You're I'm just, just saying yours. if you have OCD and anxiety and you think that meditation is going to solve it, I would just tell, ask you to qu- ask say to anyone, you might want to question that. I mean, maybe it will help and that's great. But remember that any activity really can be mindful, including interacting with others. Absolutely. You can be mindful almost like in a meditative state all day. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. And so if meditation didn't help, what helped less than anxiety? Um, connecting with others, having, having a sense of purpose, having a structure in my daily life, like just having things to work on and accomplish and not, not, not having a lot of free time. Free time, there's an interesting saying that I really like. It's that free time without structure is its own prison. Mm-hmm. And that could not be more true, is it? Well, unless you're really, really good at managing it, I mean, I don't know. Which, which, which is interesting. So what did your uh, expanded time of, of, or expanded length of free time look like? Like, did you fall into patterns of being isolated? Yeah, pretty much. And then what what helped you escape that? Because that's something that a lot of people, regardless of what spectrums they're on, face. Um, you know, my parents have definitely given me ultimatums at different points in time. Um, I've had to lean on them for support throughout my 20s. And um, but really, I mean, I was I mean, really, I was the one that needed to make the change, know what I wanted. Um it's been helpful for me being part of various dance communities, like the swing dance community, the contra dance community. Not everyone knows what contra dancing is. If you don't go pitch, look. give it a pitch. I don't know what it is. Um contra dancing comes from New England originally. It's um sort of folk dancing, but it's uh it's pretty uh it's pretty upbeat, it's pretty pretty active. Um, it's kind of like square dancing, except it's done in lines. So you're constantly, you're like in a square, but you're moving up and down the lines. I like it. And just getting out and just kind of forcing yourself. To, it's almost like if you're anxious about elevators, the worst thing you could possibly do is take the stairs every day, you know? Mm-hmm. And so is this kind of a way of doing that? What's that called? Avoidance? Is it breaking avoidance kind of thing? Yeah. In fact, in OCD therapy, there's actually a term for that, and it's called ERP. ERP. And what's that stand for? Exposure Response Prevention. I like it. And I imagine that's probably one of the most powerful things you can do. Yes, um, it cer- it certainly is. Um, there are many different types of ERPs, and um, basically you're exposing yourself to the thing that you're afraid of, and you're working to prevent a response, habitual response. It'd be really, it'd be good unless you were scared of something along the lines of bears. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's where you have to be kind of careful with balancing common sense yeah. and... Uh, I like it. Can we, can we circle back to touching about owl? You mentioned that and yeah. it seemed really interesting. You said it was a lifesaver. That's a pretty big term to put on something. Well, I... At the time, um, I feel like it was kind of a lifesaver for me. And and what is it? Would you would you say, uh, spell out the acronym for a minute, or in the, or for just a second, and then explain what it was? Sure. So Al stands for our whole lives, mm-hmm. O W L, 
And what OWL is, is it's a um, sex ed program um, sponsored by the Unitarian Church, as well as, I believe, the United Church of Christ, um, which is a more liberal Christian church than your average Christian church. Um, don't want to offend anybody with that statement. Um, I went to the Unitarian Church with my parents as a teenager in Minnesota, where I'm from. And I had some friends who went to the United Church of Christ and also some who went to the First Methodist Church. And those three, the youth groups from those three congregations came together to do the OWL program so we could get educated about sexuality as teenagers. And what exactly did it look like, though? Was it like a counseling program kind of thing? Um, it was an educational program and also like a social gathering. A religious educational program. Did that conflict with your, your bisexuality at the time? Well, um, so keep in mind that I went to the Unitarian Fellowship, which is a very, very progressive um, religious institution. Okay. Um and we we were learning we were learning sex ed um, taught by people who were definitely accepting of homosexuality and definitely presenting it as an acceptable way to be. However, and 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 I was very grateful for that. I was very grateful for everything I learned not not just everything I learned in that, but also the the social connections that I made in that program. Because at the time, I really didn't have that many other friends. I had a few, but I didn't have a lot that I saw regularly. And so being in that. How important do you believe friendship and community is? And what do you believe? Do you, Because at a certain point, having more friends doesn't help. Having fewer, better friends does. I get where, I get where you're coming from there. Um, <laughs> it's funny. My mom once said, when you have Asperger's, it's like a kid in a candy store when you finally start making good friends. Um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's good to really invest into a smaller number of good friendships so you can really deepen them. Um, I think up until about now, I've sort of been in an expanding state where I've been like trying to reach out and meet all these new people, um, trying to make more connections. And for me, that really has been it's taught me a lot through making a lot of superficial connections with different people, some of which have gone deeper, some of which haven't. Um, but I, I am in a place now where I would like to start deepening some of those connections more. Yeah. And, and maybe, as you said, um, having fewer close close friends. Well, well, it's an interesting trade-off because the more close friends you have, the more people that might call on you for they're having a rough day. And then at a certain point, that can be kind of mentally taxing and emotionally taxing. It can. But then you also have people to come, to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been sort of a helping, I guess I guess they call them empaths. Empaths, oh, sensitive people. The, I'm the type different of... Different things. Different things. Okay, so what's an empath? Okay, so I really don't have a solid dictionary or even... Um, colloquial, colloquial <laughs> grasp of what this term means, but I'll do my best here. Well, yeah, how do you de you define yourself by it? What do you what does that mean to you? So I'm I'm the type of person who various people feel comfortable sharing 
um, stuff with, um, like coming to for help with interpersonal challenges, just sharing, um, you know, challenging stuff where there's stuff that people need to talk out for whatever reason. I experienced it when I worked in retail and I've experienced it with various friends throughout my life where somebody will just come to me and they'll just start telling me their stuff and I'll be like, okay, I see. <laughs> Wh- whether whether I ask for it or, or, or not. <laughs> yeah, and that's almost an interesting place because sometimes if you've had a rough day yourself, it could almost be like being held hostage because you can't leave someone when they're espousing very personal things to you. Yeah. Um, I think initially, or there have been times when it has been tough, where it has been tricky, especially if it was like, say, somebody I was hoping to have just sort of a casual friendship with, and all of a sudden they're telling me all this really deep stuff. and uh, Or maybe I was looking for more of a balanced reciprocal friendship where we both felt like we were on even ground, and they're sort of using me to vent a lot of their struggles to and it can be frustrating yeah do you believe there's a benefit to venting uh i believe what is it like for the other person or or have you ever vented with people oh yeah and because i i know a lot of people vent and and what do you see what is the benefit of venting for someone who doesn't really know or you know but i'm interested um it's a way to get your feelings out i guess specifically venting when you don't actually want a solution is more of the, the kind of questioning like you, you just want someone to be empathetic like hey i am really sorry that you're going through this is that enough sometimes sometimes it is it, it really is um yeah um to be seen to be heard to be acknowledged i, th- I feel is a very important thing um the process i found the process just of talking talking out a challenge can be beneficial for the person talking it out once you once you actually are forced to articulate it you kind of make connections that help you come to the solution yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, an, that's actually kind of what i'm trying to do with this show is having people because pe- people don't have conversations like this necessarily uh, so society is very isolating right now and so this is a way for maybe a younger person on any one of these spectrums could have heard one of these connections you've made and you could be leaping them a year ahead. Yes. You know, and I sincerely hope that people listening will get something out of it. Um, I welcome feedback as well. If people listening have feedback or things they heard that they want to that want me to elaborate more on or are you open to people reaching out do you have an email or a social media that you, you'd be open to sharing for people both both cool uh no i will tell you i am going to start a graduate graduate program in acupuncture soon so oh. but that, that but still i'm very happy to be in touch with anybody who wants to who wants to reach out wants to connect i'll you know i love it i'll put uh, a link to both in the description um I think, you know, I think social media would actually be my preference. Cool. And what 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 platform? Facebook. Facebook, reach out to them. Oh, okay. I'll I'll give you my email too. <laughs> um yeah, okay. Well, that'll that'll be awesome. And so to kind of to kind of take this to the next place. So you in your earlier uh teenage years, you were told that you had autism and you said, "That doesn't define me." You wake up and say, "That's not how I define myself." And around those same times, you had a lot of 
thoughts about what is sexuality and maybe defining yourself or maybe being in that uh, kind of changing state. I'm curious, like at a time like now, do you imagine your future spending it with a monogamous partner that's a female or a male or do you not see it like that? Well, here's the interesting thing, Tiger. Um, first of all, I will say yes to monogamy. I would say yes, definitely, definitely interested in monogamy over non-monogamy. Um, I, I can't do non-monogamy. It's too emotionally messy and stressful. And so, so do you have a vision of your future? And is that vision of a future shared with a man or a woman? Um, first with a man, then with a woman. Whoa. Wait, so you, you'd go into a relationship with a man saying, hey, we're going to date for a couple years, then I'm going to go find a woman? Uh-huh. That's so interesting. I've uh, never heard someone assuming assuming that. he wants the same thing. I like that the open communication. That would just break down everything, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And so, is it more of an experimental thing, be being like, "Hey, I just want to have experienced this in this lifetime." Mm, maybe, maybe in part. Um, let me think about that for a sec. Um, part of me may be trying to heal the wound that. I developed when I was in that relationship with that other person as a teenager. Ah, closure. Closure or reconciliation. I like it. And so that's a really interesting place to put another person, but maybe they could be reciprocal. Maybe they also have some, some loops to close up. Exactly. And I certainly like the, 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 the partner I'm envisioning. It's, it's not like I'm seeking him to be like the other person that I was with when I was a teenager. I mean, maybe like a little physically speaking, but not in terms of his interests, in terms of his communication style, his personality. So, um, so would you have described that earlier experience as almost like a trauma that's kind of stuck with you and you just want to help like digest at some point or? I think unconsciously, probably yes. Um, I think unconsciously, yes. Um, I will tell you, like before I came out as bi, before I accepted and embraced my bisexuality, I was searching for a female partner. But the thing is, I didn't have a very solid grasp of who she was, what she looked like, what made her happy, what made her come alive. And I have to say, I have a very clear picture of a male partner that I'm currently trying to attract into my life. Much, much more clear than the nebulous female partner I was previously trying to attract. Yeah. Is it, is it like, um, who's that one person who played Aquaman? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't, you don't need to go into physical descriptions. It's an interesting thing to know what you're manifesting in terms of the life or the partner you're trying to pick or find or whatever it is, you know, um, a lot of people never put it into actual words. So I'm curious, did you write it down or did you just have an honest conversation with yourself or what'd that look like? Um, I've told various people, I told various friends um, that are close to me and I've done a, a bit of journaling about it. Um, at some point I want to do a little bit more journaling and um, this might seem like a bit of a... Um, new age topic to some people um but there are certain meditations you can do to try to attract certain things into your life share it i am 100 percent on board with these um his name is joe dispenza absolutely you've heard of him absolutely all right he's incredible so about 
five, no, four years ago, my parents and I went to a Joe Dispenza workshop and it was a three-day workshop in California. And after we did the workshop, my parents were trying to do his meditations and I was trying to do his meditations. But at that point in my life, I didn't really have like a solid idea of what I wanted, like in terms of my career and everything. And so I wasn't very consistent and I just didn't feel like it was right for me at the time. But um, this past year, I've really gotten in touch with what I want in terms of my career and my life, my personal life and all that. And um, I'd like to return, revisit doing his manifestation meditations. I like it because in his words, it's powerful to stop being defined as a vision of your past and start living with a vision of your future. Yes. It's powerful. Yes. He has some powerful words to share on the law of attraction and manifestation. Mm -hmm. Because what's in your head is literally what's all around you. Mm -hmm. And and, and I've, I've thought about it further and further. Like say you want to... You really want to manifest something, maybe even like winning a lottery ticket. And it seems like, oh, that doesn't seem possible. Like, what would manifesting that look like? Buying a lottery ticket, which shows, hey, I worked for however many hours to purchase that. You spent that long working to manifest that. And, and Or you could be alone writing down uh, traits you want in a partner, which could be an interesting way of, of kind of bringing it to mind. Like, manifestation is such a, it's a, a term that has a lot of different move room for movement you mm -hmm. know? and i'm curious have you have you experienced synchronicity or manifestation in any sense i think to some degree yes um yeah i mean in the past there have been like times when i've experienced it in small ways and it's powerful it, like it rings true doesn't it and i think there's something to be said for when you're doing things that bring you joy in your life you tend to attract more things that bring you joy. Absolutely. So if you're beaming out, if you're putting out good energy, if you're putting out the energy that you love yourself, you feel good about yourself, you're, natu you're naturally going to attract people who... Really like you for you. Yeah. It, it's, it's all a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way where you're like, oh, I'm going to, if you say like, like I'm going to put on these different like clothes that I wouldn't normally wear or dress, wear makeup so that people will be attracted to that person. Then you, you meet up with people who are attracted to that person and you have to upkeep this persona. It's just an, an, an interesting, it's a freeing thing to just let it all down, which brings us to the most, one of the most interesting topics when you mentioned it to me, especially because of, you know, so, like something along the lines of what I'm wearing, which is cross-dressing. Cross-dressing. <laughs> and so what was, what would you just want to take it from here? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, so, um, for me, um, let's see, I am a cis man, um, and I am not non-binary i identify as a man however i've always been very in touch with my feminine side and um i actually have been quite afraid of or quite like i didn't want to do cross-dressing for the longest time um i went to this another side note i was fortunate enough to go to this Okay, so here's the other thing that was a lifesaver for me as a teenager. Going to this unique arts-based camp called The Power of Hope, which is not a Christian camp. It sounds Christian, um, but it's a youth empowerment through the art, and it's all about getting youth active in their communities through arts and activism. 
Um, and so it's like a week-long camp every summer. And um, at the end of camp or near the end of camp, we would always do like this talent show. And during the talent show, all the guys, or most of the guys anyway, would, would cross-dress. Oh, nice. And some of, and I think most of the women would also cross-dress. It was like supposed to be like a drag show type thing. Yeah. Uh, but I never participated in that because I didn't feel comfortable at the time. That's so interesting, especially because now you do. And whereas maybe other people didn't even think twice about it, they were, they did do it. Mm-hmm. That must have been a lot. And so what was the realization that, that it, it helps you in some way or another come about? Um, well, so yeah, um, this summer I decided that I wanted to try it. So I bought a few like, you know, pretty modest dresses at a thrift store. And, um, I felt like for me, I go to this thing called ecstatic dance, um, which is like a free form community dance event. Um, for me, that was the environment in which I felt most comfortable, um, doing it. And I feel for me, it's not just doing it when I'm by myself. It's actually doing it out in public, being seen by people, like watching their reactions. Not like I'm doing it intentionally to create a reaction and I'm not doing it for attention, but it makes you feel when, when, like when I found, it makes me feel different. Like it, it makes me feel like I'm more in touch with my feminine side. Like I'm not. I'm not trying to necessarily act like 100% the female version of myself, but I am definitely more in touch with my femininity when I'm doing it. And getting to why it's been beneficial to me, I will tell you this, and to everybody who's listening, I just want you to know this. The first time I did it, like after I did it, when I got back home, there was a profound decrease in my OCD and anxiety. It was just profound. Powerful. I do not understand why that is. Like, I mean, maybe because it was like a social ERP where I was doing something which I felt, you know, apprehensive about because I don't think any of my friends or any of the people there had ever seen me in a dress before. It's they're not they're not something I wear. I I'm not really. I haven't really. Um, ever cross-dressed before um so um but but yeah i just i just felt like it helped me integrate a part of myself that i had been suppressing for a long time and it was pretty pretty interesting pretty powerful how was it received um mostly positively um there are a few people who maybe felt a little confused by it but i certainly didn't get any that's understandable to be confused you know i think i think confusion might be sometimes correlated with like people people don't know people are are force-fed so much you know stuff like propaganda blatantly that then when they see someone they're like you know people don't like anything new sure it's uncomfortable sure and so i mean that's really powerful to do something be proactive in doing something so new yeah for sure for sure yeah it's um i think i've definitely gotten more comfortable going to the ecstatic dance like that and i imagine like a type of uh dare i say the word hippie festival (laughs) imagining other um 
similar types of um, spaces, I could definitely see myself doing that again in those spaces. But I noticed you didn't wear a dress or anything today, though. Yeah, um, didn't feel like it. Okay. <laughs> if it was video podcast, would you have? Maybe. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Just maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe next time. Who maybe knows? next time. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, you had something. Can we take a quick break? Yeah. Uh, you. You can. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually. I'll just give a couple pitches. So, um, really quick, I will have. Um, blatantly awesome five dollar t-shirts with uh talks with tiger and like a serotonin molecule on it because everyone here knows that that's one of my favorite things ever um and yeah i kind of mentioned it so the talk with with thomas he came over at like nine o'clock last night and we just kind of ranted for an hour and i'm gonna post that on on these social media platforms but then we 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 cut it off so we had a digestible hour of yelling and then we did another two-hour conversation where we actually got a little bit more into things um, I'll be putting that on Patreon as just kind of like a subscriber based thing, which is kind of a platform that I want to move to. I don't know. This is, so this, this whole thing is a lot of work and I actually mentioned it on that conversation with him where I'm tentatively looking for people to maybe take over the social media. If you, if you have a love for social media, marketing and SEO work, search and optimization, um, reach out to me. I would love to give you a, a, a part of this, uh, the, the permanent revenue of things like this. So, um, that, and then a booking manager where when like, just to spend some time reaching out to people in the community, or if I reach out to someone, I can send them to you to help schedule, uh, the exact time and date of this. Um, and the last person that I'm looking for, uh, I don't know, let's, let's just, I'm just, for the most part, I'm looking for those. Um, so yeah, re reach out to me, email me. You, I'm sure you can find it online. And, uh, and I'll get some t-shirts soon and stickers. I'm going to order a thousand stickers. Um, that'll be fun. So t-shirts, stickers, and I'm looking to hire a couple people. And I guess we're going to continue right on here. I'm curious what you mean by feminine side. You, you've used that word a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, just, uh, speaking, behaving, well, not necessarily speaking, but just feeling more feminine, I guess. Um, so one thing about wearing a dress is you have to, like when you're sitting on the ground, for instance, you have to sit a bit differently if you don't want to be flashing everybody. <laughs> um, I usually wear um, boxer briefs under there, so it's sort of like... Smart. Equivalent, yeah. Equivalent to what some of the... Um, women I contradance with wear when they contradance because oftentimes the skirts will go up when they're dancing so it's nice to have something that kind of covers part of your thigh as well the interesting part of all this is that it wasn't a gradual shift it seems like a you just went for it you came home and you just felt a static you know mm -hmm. and so are you going to continue this or are you going to progress it from here what do you, what do you believe I mean, do you, do you believe that a complete subsidence of things like OCD and anxiety is a possibility? Um, they've really been subsiding quite a bit. Um, I mean, I, when, when you have OCD, it's not something that really goes away, but it's something you can learn to live with and learn to make friends with. 
Speaking of Joe Dispenza's work, isn't that a self-detrimental way of speaking, saying that it will never go away? Can't you believe, hey, this is going to go... People well, have healed from literally being paralyzed. You I, don't believe that you could... You could. I, I get where you're coming from, but I want to tell you this. Yeah. People with OCD tend to be better than people without OCD at certain things. Ah. Certain things that involve a high level of um, detail, mm-hmm. of attention to detail, and things that involve patterns, seeing patterns, um, organizing things. Um, I mean, if, it varies from person to person, but having having OCD, just like having autism or Asperger's, isn't necessarily 100% bad. Uh-huh, absolutely. It's just a certain way you are. So when I say the OCD doesn't ever fully go away, what I mean to say is... The bad parts can subside, but the good parts stay there. Yeah. Okay, I like that. So you were almost, I, I, I was at least receiving it as just a, more of a negative. So I, I hadn't really heard that connotation from you, but I like that way of looking. And same things with bipolar. That's, I, I pitch Kanye every episode, but that's his main thing is he's like, bipolar isn't a disease, it's the superpower to, to have these, these extreme bouts of energy and motivation and manifestation and then these more deep restive states, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so and but do you believe anxiety has upsides um personally hmm would you want to hear my thoughts on it sure what 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 are are your thoughts uh they might kind of be adjacent to the to the ideas of joe dispenza i'm not exactly sure where i heard this obviously almost everything i say is just kind of regurgitated from everything all my input in life that's how humans are but so say you have social anxiety what that could be is you're running an old operating system where maybe you grew up in a household where your parents yell all the time and you feel like you're always on eggshells. And because of that, you become hyper aware of social interaction to the point where you are so concerned with how you word things to not provoke anger and yelling. And maybe you move out when you're whatever age and that that operating system never really switches over. So mm-hmm. now in completely loving, good communication, you still have that hypersensitivity. So mm-hmm. maybe I think I think things like in, uh, different forms of anxiety are operating systems that did help greatly at one point, but now maybe overstayed their welcome. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if it's something like that, then moving on from it is definitely the healthiest thing to do. Well, that's easy to say. <laughs> You know, and I don't know what e- ERP ERP would look like for that. That, I mean, ERP is mainly used to treat OCD. Oh, really? So ERP couldn't be used as like social anxiety, like going out and meeting a bunch of people. It can, it, it can, can, but it's primarily OCD. Well, primarily, and you know, a lot of people with OCD also have a, a fair number of people with OCD also have social anxiety. And do you have other forms of anxiety that are non-social? Um, general anxiety. And what does that look like? Just angst kind of thing or? Well, sort of a feeling of dread. Ooh, so that's angst, like existential anxiety. Um, I guess for me, I always think of the word angst as... Angst, I've been saying it wrong. A slightly different I may have had it term. wrong. Um, like, like, so, so dread is the over, the overwhelming impending feel of doom and just like doom and gloom. Like, oh my God, why am I trying? Or the, well, that sounds a bit more like nihilism to me. What, what you just described. I believe nihilism to be one of those beautiful freeing things of all. Well, let's get into that later. I'll even write it down here. 
Um, explain your view of angst and, uh, and these these different things. You know, once again, I don't I don't have a good definition for the word angst, um, but I think I'm pretty sure anxiety is slightly different than angst, at least for me in the way I think about angst. The way I think about angst is sort of like, uh, God, I can't even put it into words. <laughs> but I will say angst isn't necessarily anxiety. Anxiety is more like fear-based. Anxiety is like feeling something bad is going to happen. Um, whereas angst is just sort of like, oh, the world sucks. Really? I always thought angst was the holy shit, I'm going to die someday. Like, is anything I'm doing meaningful? That's and that seems like doom to me, though the feelings of doom. Okay, yeah, we may be getting stuck in pedantics here of of what exactly well, words mean. Okay, but. so to me, angst is sort of the reaction to that thought. Oh, like the knowledge that you're gonna die creates, which can be a very freeing thing. Society gives stigmatizes it, but sorry, continue. Oh, see, see, the way I look at it is like knowing that you're gonna die one day cre can create that angst, that ex existential angst. And the, the angst is sort of the response to that, that, that fear, that knowing. It's sort of the, the secondary emotion, I guess. And so you seem to have a healthier view that, of death that doesn't provoke angst. And so what is that? Um, I haven't really taken a lot of time to articulate, articulate that. Um, it's something we're, we're, we don't really want to think about as human beings. I mean, yeah, I know I'm going to die someday. And also, yes, in the last couple of years, I have spent a lot of time thinking about existentialism. I mean, thinking about our existence and all that and the impermanent nature of our existence, too. Which probably uh, comes along with, um, what is that? Your, your, your uh, anxiety over change. Exactly. That's probably where a lot of these thoughts come from. Fear of death, you, you pretty much nailed it, yeah. Do you have any, what are some solutions you came to that helped you overcome that? Um, just say, fuck it, I'm going to live. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to live. I'm going to be fully present in this lifetime. And I love it. That's cool. Whatever man. happens afterwards is beyond my control. And so how do you find meaning if you say, you know, just to the heck with it. I'm going to live my life. You still, uh, like, that's so easy to say in the minute, but then... A week later and you're living your life you're like okay this is actually taking a lot longer than like you know just a minute of, of saying that well um i think honestly like for me finding a way i could serve others has been very nice beneficial that tends to be how i find everyone does it and how how would you most want to serve others acupuncture it sounds like well as an as an acupuncturist as a healthcare provider um i've always I want to continue being a mentor and support person for my friends and also for other people. Um, I, I really value mentoring people. And for me, mentoring is not advice giving. It's not trying to find a solution. It's hearing the other person out, having a dialogue with them like what we're doing now so that they can find their inner strength and power. I love it, man. That you just, you just kind of spoke up what, what this show is. I'm, uh, my my play in this is I'm more or less provoking people to actually articulate their thoughts because not a lot of people write down what they're actually thinking and manifesting. So that's a beautiful thing you're doing, man. I just wanted to capture it. it, it people, the way the society's built is that unless there's a way to monetarily benefit from a friendship, like utility friendship, a lot of people don't have it. There aren't as many virtue friendships these days. Mm. So inviting people to come on a show and talk 
is a way of having people see it as utility friendship. But also, then once they get here, I get to lure them into more of a, mm. of a, a virtue friendship. Mm, mm. It's an interesting thing. Just talking to people is so profoundly powerful. Mm-hmm. And especially people on the younger side of things. Because the older you get, the more stuck in your ways you get blatantly. Like neuroplasticity kind of goes down as you age. And the amount of people that you, you affect kind of goes down. Because if you, if you change the life of someone who just turned 18, you're like, hey... You, everyone you talk to, if you brighten their day, they'll brighten everyone else's day. Like that is so profoundly impactful on the world forever. That's the most beautiful thing of conversations, man. Hmm. And so what has it been like having your calling be partially having conversations while being told that you, your brain maybe doesn't facilitate you being the best you can at that social interaction? That is a very good question. Um, it has made me work harder to learn social skills. It's made me work harder to reach out for those connections. I like it. And it's made me work harder to understand myself. I actually majored in psychology as an undergrad. Wow. That's pretty... People are, people always go their polar opposites, you know? Like if you're... You know, it, it's interesting. Like the most unhealthy or um, physically injured people learn the most about health and, and mental health and, you know, the same kind of thing which is just such an interesting, like, I mean, that's the most blatant proof and of projection I in my view. I think when you're on the spectrum and you're high functioning, you can also sometimes see certain things that other people don't see as easily in terms of um, interpersonal, I, I don't know. Well, I mean... And so, so do you have almost a... Hmm, this word has such a connotation. I don't even want to say it. Do you have a view of things like empathy that aren't in line with society? Um, like, do you when you when you are having a social interaction because you don't, or I don't I don't know what autism is, or so I obviously am completely just like asking. I'm provoking thought and I want to learn from it. Um, do you go from more of a logistical standpoint, like you watch the the way my eyes and mouth kind of move to, and then you like logic that into okay he's feeling this way about this so i can continue this way or how's that look internally i i don't um i would say i'm a pretty heart-centered person cool uh it's gotten taken me time to really get more into my heart as a i mean again that's another sort of new agey thing to say but i i don't really i mean i think people on the spectrum do tend to be more head-based or more logic-based but I would say that for a person on the spectrum, and again, not to make any blanket statements about people on the spectrum. But people need to. People always come on the show like, oh, you know, that's, I, I don't want to generalize. I'm asking people to generalize. Like, like if you help 95% of people and 5% of people are like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Speak to those. Speak to the majority. That's all I can ask. Yeah. From your experience. I would say, I mean, to be more in touch with um, my feelings and intuition and emotions you know i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i necessarily like study people and like try to read them per se um it's more like just you know getting a general getting a sense of what they're communicating to me through their through their body language and through their words and, and i think we all do that unconsciously i guess my thought of what i've heard of autism i would i guess i'd most closely describe it to 
um, physical showings of uh, social cues was almost like a second language where if I was, I didn't really know Spanish that well and I was speaking to a Spanish speaker, I'd have to translate it into English. Is that what it's like for maybe a less high-functioning autistic uh, person on the spectrum? Yeah, and I think even for me, like learning body language has been a, a bit of a learning curve too. Um, and really feeling comfortable in my body. I mean, it used it, it in the past, it used to be really awkward. I mean, eye contact is certainly has been awkward in the past. It's a strange but powerful thing. I'm curious, does too much eye contact overwhelm you or did it used to or what was that like? It, 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 it definitely used to. And it, I think it's context based, but sorry, continue. Um, and also the other thing that I used to have a hard time with was knowing what expression on my face to present while the other person was talking. Um, it was like, I was really uncomfortable with that for a while. You just wanted to be judged based off your words and thoughts, not on how your body was reacting or what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. And that's fair. That's fair. Cause people aren't always in control of, of their body. Like if you, if people have twitches and stuff like that, like it's, it's interesting that people tend to judge each other. Like, Oh, like he was crossing his hands in his lap. So he must've been like this kind of defensive. And it's like, that is such a sick way of looking at com like communication. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for all those people out there listening, just know you can't always tell what's going through somebody else's head just based on the body posture that they're displaying. Do you always have something going through your head? Not always. It used to be the case that my mind was more hyperactive and not as much anymore. Like in a conversation like this, are you thinking or is your words your form of thinking? Um, That's a good question. Um, I guess I had metaphysical here. <laughs> Hadn't really thought about it that much. I mean, I would say both. I mean, I would say that I'm I'm present in this room with you right now. Being present is an interesting thing. When, when did you start becoming... I just said it that I started living consciously about a month ago. And my, my guest last night called me out. He's like, that's such a woke, progressive thing to say. And I'm like, it's real once you say, well, I'm actually present. And when you speak to people, being present in conversations, that's a different experience compared to what most teenagers and younger people do. Definitely. And so I'm curious, how long ago did you start feeling that you were present and living consciously? Um, it's been a progressive progressive process for me. like it. And, and the, the terminology of woke kind of diminishes what it actually is. Yeah. As like, oh, it's just some something that druggies say. But it's like, no, really, like after you've meditated long enough or maybe uh, like it happens when a close family member dies or if you have a near-death experience, people tend to wake up, yeah. start living. Con it seriously feels like it's the first day of your life. And it's sad that it happens when death is close to you. But yeah. And, um, or, or like after you go through an existential crisis per se. Absolutely. Have you ever, have you had one of those? Or I'm curious what, oh, what, yeah. what helped you wake up and become conscious? Um, well, finding my calling, finding my purpose, finding a way to serve others. What was it like before the, the existential crisis has the connotation that it was you just tumbled down to a really bad place and you hit the rock bottom and then you started building up from there? Or? Um, for me, an existential crisis just means you are struggling with what you are doing in this life, in this world. Um, you are spending a lot of time thinking about your imminent death and <sighs> your imminent non-existence. Um, Imminence a weird word because you're always in the present. 
imminent. Like when you're when you're a hundred and you're gonna die tomorrow, it's 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 never like you've always been in the present. You've never lived in the past. It's never been like oh, that's gonna be far off. Well, yeah, I mean. Um, I'm trying to, re- I haven't articulated that thought enough. I shouldn't have brought it up here. I have one really quick thought. So you're going to actually play a song on this show. You're going to be the first musician. I guess someone freestyled, but, um, I was going to play it in the middle and then play a different one of your songs at the end. But maybe when we're done talking, I can do another quick little spout off while you get ready. And then we could end the show with you playing guitar and singing. Sure. It's all good. That's exciting, man. Um, Hopefully it turns out I haven't had anyone play, so I don't know how well these mics pick up guitar, but okay. I, I have high hope. I'm going to manifest it working out. You know? Sounds good. Um, yeah. One thing that I really want to get into is religion. You you mentioned Christianity a few times. Are you a Christian? Um, I am not a practicing Christian, no. Do you believe that the like faith in a religion holds value and at any point in your life? And if so, what was that value? Um. For me, yes, I would say having faith has had value for me in my life. But not in religion? Well, or what? Yes, yes, in religion. I mean, yes, in the sense that there's a higher power, and yes, that I believe in the power of prayer, for instance. But almost more of Joe Dispenza's form of prayer, or I'm curious what your thoughts are. Kind of. Um, I believe that we do have the potential to be very powerful beings. I don't, I didn't quite like the way he said when he said something about we are human gods or something like that. You don't think we are? Well. You don't think you're God? I don't, I don't like that language. Yeah. Well, I do. To the point where I think I'm going to, I'm going to try to push everyone around me. I want to name my kid God just to like make that statement that like, hey, like realize that your internal thoughts are so powerful that you're essentially the God of your own life. You create everything around you. Okay, um, I hear. <laughs> but you're... God's a dirty word. God's a dirty. Well, word no, I, I, I guess, to. I guess I hear where you're coming from there. Um, for me, you know, I recognize that um, you can be in control to some extent, but you're not 100% in control of everything that happens to you. Yeah, I, I do, I do see that side too. That's and the, that's the other side of the argument, which is very valid. So releasing. Joe Dispenza talks about releasing your whatever to a higher field or to a higher consciousness. And for me, I, I mean, I don't, I really spend a lot of time thinking about who or what God is, but I definitely believe in a higher consciousness. And I, 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 I personally value prayer and praying to that higher consciousness. And, what does prayer look like? Because does everyone pray in different ways? Because it's typically shown in movies as someone laying down, next, kneeling next to their bed. Are you just like laying in bed when you're sleeping saying, I really hope this happens? Or what, what can prayer look like? Um, prayer can look like a bunch of different things. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be in bed. Um, I mean, often people will say a prayer before they go to sleep. Um, I've actually started saying a prayer before I do my workout every day. Do you have, would you want to share it or would you be willing to? I can share the gist of it. Yeah. I just ask God, um, also known, or I also refer to as the great spirit of the universe. I like it. Um, for strength and um, resilience so that I can do this workout, so that I can be stronger, so that I can use my strength to help others, so that I can be healthier and 
keep moving in the positive direction that I'm moving in right now. I like it. So what do you see at possibly the end of your road? What would, what would be the point where you would call your life a good day's work done and you would retire? Like, would you have wanted to maybe start of the foundation that helps a lot of people who have experienced things or maybe have, you know, I'm curious where you want to take your life. Cause you, you seem like a powerful being. I can't see quite that far into the future. That's pretty far. And if I could, I probably wouldn't. Um, I think there is value in not knowing completely. hundred percent. I know that I'm definitely called to help people. I'm called to be a helper, a healer, also an artist of some sort, but, but really but really a healer because, you know, music, art, it can be very healing. It can be very therapeutic. And I think I come at it from that perspective. Let's get into it. What has music done for you? It's given me an outlet. It's given me a way to express myself. It has given me comfort and solace in challenging times. It's given me something to turn to, something to focus on, something that's given me meaning, joy, times when those things have been very hard to come by. Do you share your music with others or do you keep it? I do share it with others. I don't do a lot of recording. Um, however, I'd like to change that in the near future. Yeah. I have I, an extra mic if you want it. Um, uh, yeah. Music's a weird, beautiful, interesting thing. Um, I've obviously, I've had quite a few musicians on the show and I mean, I at one point in my life made an album and I drifted away from that because it wasn't quite what I was wanting it to be, but I'm so, what, what do you want music to be and what is it for you? Um, I want it to be a form of therapeutic release. I want it to be life affirming and life affirming. Would you die? Would you dissect that for a second? A celebration of the human experience. Like dancing. I like it. I'm going to start using a life affirming. That's, I think, powerful. I think a lot of people affirm life through validation of others, but you seem to have this really centered belief in your own internal validation, which is a powerful thing. Yeah. Taking me years to develop, but, but yes. <laughs> it's, it's, easy, it's easy to say now. That's Whenever anyone's talking from a vantage point of like, you've 30, you've, you've gone through those rough years of your 20s, and now you're talking, someone who's 23 and maybe just got noticed that they have all these different traits is seeing you and saying, well, that's easy for you to say, but it's not. You've spent years cultivating this mindset. Mm -hmm. It's work. Mm -hmm. It's work to get where you are and manifest the life that you're at right now. Yeah. And do you hope to one day like have an album out or do you always just hope to have music be a more private thing that you maybe share with a few people? I definitely want to release multiple albums. Nice. I definitely want to share it with a, um, many people. I like it. Um, I have never really aspired to be just a musician. Music is something that I do alongside other things. I, I struggle, I, I don't, I'm not very good at self-promotion and I'm also not, I couldn't see myself being like a traveling performer either. Mm -mm. I'm a, that's exactly the reason I got out of music. Uh, self-promotion is this weird thing where you can make the album and you can put it out and it's not narcissistic. You're like, I just wanted to share my work. But as soon as you start promoting it and being like, seriously, like I will pay money to tell people that this is worthy of your time. It gets to a weird place mentally to do that. You know, um, you really have to believe in your craft a hundred percent or have someone else who believes in your craft. So 
oh, that gets to a bunch of interesting strength. Do you want to, do you want, do you have somewhere? Oh, um, which gets to some interesting, maybe we could talk, bring it back to nihilism. So I personally find that to be a very powerful thing to be like, you know what? You're going to die and no one's going to know your name in a hundred years. I mean, do you know your great grandparents name? Nobody does. That's the thing. Three generations and you're gone. So might as well just make a hoot and holler and like try your best and be like, who cares what people think? I find that powerful. You find that not powerful? I do find it powerful. I, d I don't disagree with you about that. I was just listening. Okay. Yeah. Um, more more confusing um, facial reactions. That's so interesting. I guess I do kind of see. Well, well, it's an interesting point where, I mean, some talk, some guests I do like talking over because it's it's you know fun. But then other guests like you, like you, have spent a lot of time formulating your your thoughts, and you're good at you're you're good at articulating them. So as soon as you make a facial expression that tells me, hey, I'm about to speak, I want to give you the floor. I'm more or less covering time while you while you you know come up with something we're one hour and 20 minutes into the show you said you wanted to keep it about an hour and 30 would you want to would you want to play us a tune on the guitar yeah all right let's like get set up and move that microphone to it and i'll just kind of talk while you do it okay um, and so you're gonna have that one set with the guitar and then i'll set this one to your vocals as the very last thing and while this goes on um yeah, seriously, people, I don't, I don't know how, how, I mean, the show, people have been telling me it looks decently professional. It's just me trying for, it. I don't know how to make a podcast. I learned audio engineering somehow. Um, but if anyone wants to help or come on the show, like, like it's, it's not like some deeper thing. I mean, you just reached out to me one day and you said, Hey, I want to come share my, share my message. I'm like, heck yeah, come on the show, man. Um, and so that's kind of more or less what it looks like. Yeah. Be a little rough with that, with the arm. It's, it's tight. So it keeps the, the mic in place. Um, email is a great way to reach out to me. I actually, hopefully will be off social media here in a minute here. Sit down with a guitar and all. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I hope I'm hoping to be off social media within the year. It's an interesting thing because I want a platform, but this is my platform to share my words. Um, and I'm actually starting to kind of reach out and work with other people. Maybe Brian Steveson in a, in a screenplay sense, which will hopefully finish a couple screenplays and enter those in competitions. And I'll be, um, working with someone on f finishing up a children's book. So if anyone's an illustrator, uh, especially watercolor, get in touch with me. Um, and he's got his mic set up. I'm going to move this over. So you're going to have a couple of seconds of uh, silence and then the beautiful workings of Nate Shapiro. This is a song I wrote. It's called Bits and Pieces. It's about the... Uh, things, pieces we pick up of ourselves as we go through life and we meet different people and they inspire us in different ways and traits and mannerisms of theirs rub off on us and we somehow we put it all together in our own unique way. Style's made up of bits and pieces, baby. I picked up along the way I put them all together Into a coherent picture My style's made up of bits and pieces, baby My style's made up of bits and pieces 
Texas, baby. I am a silent sentinel Making my way through the city Ever reaching out Into its darkest corners I am a silent sentinel I am a silent sentinel I once had a lover Who did a hold me tight Whispered pretty secrets When we were together in the darkest night In the darkest night The style's made up of bits and pieces, baby I picked up along the way Put them all together into a coherent picture. The style's made up of bits and pieces, baby. The style's made up of bits and pieces, baby. My life is like a patchwork quilt. Made up of all the places I've known It's hanging on the wall In a little town in Vermont My life is like a patchwork quilt My life is like a patchwork quilt To be my lover Do you want to walk with me? And are you also Made up of bits and pieces? It seems like that's the only way to be It seems like that's the only way to be Styles made up of bits and pieces, baby. I picked up along the way. I put them all together into a coherent picture. Styles made up of bits and pieces, baby. Styles made up of bits and pieces, baby. Styles made up of bits and pieces, baby. Styles made up of bits and pieces, baby.